Good afternoon, everyone. First of all, go Giants. My name is David Campos, and I'm uh, the chair of the uh, Neighborhood Services and Safety Committee of the Board of Supervisors for the City and County of San Francisco. It's our regular meeting of Thursday, October 23rd, 2014. We are joined today by Committee Vice Chair Supervisor Eric Marr uh, and the member of the committee, Norman Yee, Supervisor Norman Yee, is en route. Uh, we're also joined today by Supervisor Scott Weiner. The clerk of the committee is Derek Evans, and we'd like to uh, thank the following members of SFG-TV staff who are covering this meeting today, Jesse Larson and Joshua Alexander. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of documents to be included in the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the November 4th, 2014 Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much. Uh, if you can please call item number one. Item number one is an ordinance amending the police code to repeal the prohibition on entering or remaining within a 25-foot buffer zone of a reproductive health care facility to prohibit individuals from following or harassing others within 25 feet of the entrance to such a facility, to prohibit impeding access to the door of such a facility, and to prohibit excessive noise through yelling or amplification of sound within 50 feet of such a facility. Thank you very much. Uh, today is actually a very uh, special day for the Neighborhood Services and Safety Committee. And uh, on a personal level, uh, we're it's a very important day for me because we're dealing with two uh, of the most important issues that my office has dealt with uh, in, the, in the last, not only in the last year, but since uh, I became a supervisor. And I especially want to acknowledge the incredible work uh, of uh, my chief of staff, Hillary Ronan, uh, who has uh, spent uh, many years uh, working uh, certainly on issue one and many, many months working on, on the second item. Uh, so, Hillary, thank you very much for your incredible work. Uh, the item that we are uh, discussing today is something that we have been dealing with for a number of years now. And uh, uh, as people know, Planned Parenthood in my, opened in my district more than three years ago. And almost immediately upon opening its doors, uh, the staff and patients of Planned Parenthood have been harassed, have been intimidated by a number of protesters uh, who uh, come from the extreme uh, uh, position uh, that they can di dictate uh, to women uh, what options and choices they can make about with their bodies. The freestanding clinic that is Planned Parenthood sits before a relatively narrow sidewalk. Every week as women enter the clinic to receive reproductive health services, they must pass by several protesters who scream things like, don't kill your baby, or abortions cause breast cancer. These women are forced to walk by a barrage of posters aligning the street. The eight-foot-tall posters contain pictures of bloody fetuses at different stages of gestation and faces like repent or burn. Oftentimes, religious music is playing on the radio, on a radio that they have, 
And then the protesters have video cameras facing the front door of the clinic to videotape the women and staff as they're going in. In addition to the protesters, women often have to walk by counter-protesters, usually neighbors or pedestrians who mean well and who engage in arguments with these protesters. The arguments are often loud and heated directly in front of the clinic. And again, these are well-intentioned individuals uh, who usually disagree with the protesters and believe strongly in the right of women to choose for themselves. But these arguments and the yelling of counter-protesters are often uh, very difficult for the patients. They cost them a great deal of stress as they wait for sensitive medical procedures to be completed. Anyone would feel harassed and intimidated having to pass by this scene. Uh, however, if you're a woman seeking sensitive health services, a woman who has made the difficult decision to obtain an abortion, this harassment could be detrimental to your health. Last year, to address the situation, to protect the health and safety of patients and pedestrians in the area, as well as in an effort to uphold the rights of free speech and assembly of the protesters, I introduced and this board unanimously approved legislation creating a 25-foot buffer zone outside of reproductive health centers here in San Francisco. After the implementation of this legislation, the situation in front of Planned Parenthood improved dramatically. Patients were able to freely access services and avoid some of the streets, some of the stress that's, that's associated with the loud protests and conflicts that they have been witnessing for these years. Unfortunately, at the end of this year, our United States Supreme Court in McCollin v. Coakley invalidated a Massachusetts buffer zone law that was substantially similar to the San Francisco law. Because of that, my office and I have been working over the past few months with our city attorney's office to amend this buffer zone law so that it is compliant with McCullen but still accomplishes the twin objectives of allowing women to safely and securely access reproductive health services without infringing upon the First Amendment rights of these protesters. I believe that the law that we have introduced strikes that right balance. My legislation will continue to allow quiet, consensual conversations between anti-abortion counselors and women seeking services without subjecting Planned Parenthood, its patients, its staff, to scary and intimidating harassment and conflict. Specifically, my legislation will do the following. It prohibits anyone from following and harassing any person within 25 feet of a reproductive health care facility in San Francisco. It prohibits impeding access to the door of a reproductive health facility in San Francisco. It prohibits individuals from shouting or using amplified sound on any public street or sidewalk within 50 feet of the property line of a reproductive health facility. If an individual violates any of these prohibitions, after a written warning, a police officer can require that individual to disperse and remain within 25 feet away from the health facility for eight hours or until the close of business of the facility. I want to thank the city attorney's office and especially Aaron Bernstein 
for the incredible work that she has done throughout this process with this piece of legislation. Uh, I also want to thank the police department for the work they have provided. I believe that we are simultaneously complying with McCullen, but in a typical San Francisco fashion, pushing the envelope to ensure that we stand up for women and reproductive choice in no uncertain terms. What I have always said and what I, what I will continue to say is that if a woman's right to choose cannot be protected in San Francisco, then where in this country can that right be protected? That's what this is about. And I want to thank my co-sponsors of this important legislation, uh, Supervisors Yee, Supervisors Avalos, Supervisors Kim, Supervisor Marr, and I know that Supervisor Weiner is here to speak on this item as well. And lastly, and more importantly, I want to thank the women, the patients, the staff of Planned Parenthood for the courage that they've had over these years, for the dignity and strength with which they have carried them. Uh, you have put up with a great deal, and this is the very least that our city can do. Thank you for what you do for the women of this city on a daily basis. Supervisor Weiner. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and Mr. Chairman, thank you for uh, bringing this proposal forward and for the work of uh, your office uh, in, in doing that. <clears throat> I just wanted to come by today to express my uh, strong support for the legislation and to uh, add my name as a co-sponsor. Uh, you know, it's been 41 years uh, since uh, Roe v. Wade, and uh, it is just uh, extraordinary, and I, extraordinary in a very negative way, that 41 years later we continue to see concerted efforts all across the country uh, to try to nullify uh, the right of women to control their bodies uh, through every conceivable uh, kind of obstructionist behavior, whether it is uh, legislation that is passed in uh, various states around the country uh, pretending that the U.S. Constitution doesn't apply uh, in those states, uh, laws that uh, either restrict uh, reproductive services directly or make it impossible to actually operate uh, reproductive health clinics uh, in large geographic areas uh, so that particularly uh, working class and low income women are effectively completely denied access uh, to those health care services. We see it here in California where it seems like every few years uh, a statewide ballot measure restricting reproductive uh, health services pops up on the ballot and we all have to work very hard uh, to beat those back and we do uh, but it is exhausting and requires a huge amount of resources that we should be uh, able to use in more positive ways instead of playing defense. And then we see in, uh, in more informal ways uh, in terms of harassment of women who are simply trying to exercise their constitutional rights to access health care and to control their own bodies. And it is despicable and it is awful and we have to make sure that we are doing everything we can to ensure that women have uh, access, consistent access uh, to health care services and that they are not bullied and harassed uh, and shamed uh, out of actually accessing those services. Um, we have always stood united at this board uh, unanimously uh, passing legislation uh, to ensure that women have that access and to do what we can do. Uh, and I, I think it's appropriate that within almost immediately after the Supreme 
Supreme Court's unfortunate decision uh, in June that, that we're stepping forward again to do what we can do. And as we always do in San Francisco, uh, we respect the law. We may not agree uh, with what the Supreme Court has done, uh, but that is the law of the land, and we need to make sure that we are pushing the envelope and stepping up to the line of doing everything we can within the law uh, to protect access uh, for women to these uh, reproductive health services. And so uh, I'm proud that we're doing that again, and I strongly support this, uh, and I look forward to getting this passed and signed and into law and then enforced. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Wiener, for your co-sponsorship. Supervisor Mark. Thank you. I, I wanted to acknowledge that Supervisor Campos and his staff have been working on this issue for several years. I really applaud their efforts to stand with Planned Parenthood and the Action Fund and women's organizations on this issue. I urge the mayor and Supervisor Cohen, who are also interested in um, this issue, to join Supervisor Campos to uh, make sure that we're doing everything we can to end the gauntlet of harassment that many women face. And I, I guess, to me, the so-called free speech of the haters that are out there trying to prevent women from accessing their reproductive rights are more on the equivalent of hate speech to me. And I'm really glad that Supervisor Campos has crafted a narrowly tailored, really effective um, policy that I think um, we should be passing unanimously, hopefully, at this board. But I just urge the mayor and Supervisor Cohen and others to, to join Supervisor Campos and the rest of us on this measure as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Supervisor Marr. Uh, uh, Supervisor Yee has joined us. Supervisor Yee. Yes, um, thank you, Chair Campos. Um, I just want to um, join the comments that I, I just heard from uh, Supervisor Marr and, and uh, uh, Supervisor Wiener that I'm glad to be, I think I'm co-authoring this. Um, and I'm real um, proud of you, um, Supervisor Campos, too, that you didn't just back off um, of a court decision, but actually utilize another court decisions to craft this so that hopefully we will continue to be able to protect the rights of a, of a of woman. Thank you, Supervisor. And again, thank you to my uh, colleagues on, the, on this committee for their co-sponsorship. Uh, why don't we now proceed to public comment? I have a number of cards, but if any member uh, of the public would like to speak on this item, please come on up, and I would ask you if you can line up as your name, you know, as we call your name, on your right, our left. And uh, normally I give people three minutes, but I, I don't want to lose a quorum, so I'm going to limit public comment to two minutes so that, so that we can uh, proceed with the business of the committee. So here are the names for item one. Henny Kelly, Don, uh, Dana Klein-Hesselink, Sylvia Castillo, Elizabeth Creeley, Adrian Bouchian, Patricia Velasalma, and I want to thank Patricia who uh, has traveled from Los Angeles to be here on these two items, uh, and Steph uh, Fearing. But anyone who would like to speak, speak, please come on up. And again, I want to thank you for, for being uh, here. Okay. Hello, my name is Henny Kelly. I spent my childbearing years pre-Roe versus Wade, and it was a different world then. It was a world where you, where people died because they had to seek abortions in back alleys. 
It was a place where doctors went to jail if they tried to save women. In my lifetime, this has changed. And yet, there is something that is going on in this world that doesn't want to give women their rights, that doesn't want to give women their equality. If I am a man, I can get the Viagra, and I can get Cialis, and hopefully somebody will buy me a tub or two of them so that my husband and I can kind of loll in them after the Cialis. But if I am a woman, I have a hard time. I don't have control of my body in some states. And what Campo said is if we don't have this in San Francisco, if we can't show the nation how to treat women, then it's a very sad time. I fought for Roe versus Wade, and I will fight for this because I believe this is a way of giving women their rights and their dignity and control of their bodies. I want to thank all of the people who are co-authoring, and I want to especially thank uh, Campos, David Campos, for bringing this up and for not just letting it go when the Supreme Court ruled. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Dana Klein-Hesslink. I'm here on behalf of Women's Community Clinic. And I simply just want to say that on behalf of the 5,000 women and girls that Women's Community Clinic sees each year as a standalone reproductive health care facility, we support this measure. There's plenty of data that shows that by supporting access to reproductive health care, you're not only improving the health outcomes for women and children, um, and particularly women that are seeking abortion or birth control, um, but really the population at large. Um, so I applaud your efforts in making this uh, into San Francisco law, and um, I'm excited for a, a unanimous vote. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hello, I'm Adrienne Bosian, Vice President of Public Affairs for Planned Parenthood Northern California. Planned Parenthood Northern California is one of the largest Planned Parenthoods in the U.S. We provide health care to 100,000 clients each year at 22 health centers in 20 counties. And here in San Francisco, we serve about 13,000 patients each year at our two health centers, including the main one on Valencia. Thank you, Supervisor Campos, for introducing this ordinance and working tirelessly. Thank you, Supervisors Mar, Yee, Wiener, and Kim, and Avalos for co-sponsoring. The U.S. Supreme Court's flawed decision in June striking down the buffer zone in Massachusetts has exposed patients and staff at our San Francisco Health Center to unacceptable harassment and abuse. Aggressive individuals are filming, blocking, insulting, following women as they approach the Planned Parenthood Health Center for preventive health care, which includes cancer screenings, STD testing and treatment, family planning services, and abortions. The harassing individuals also play music loud enough to disturb patients and staff inside, and they force patients and staff and neighbors to walk a gauntlet of disturbing and graphic images. And I'd like to put up a, one of these projector 
so that you can see some of it, just a little bit of it. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm also submitting some for the record and uh, want to also say that staff, patients, and neighbors have reported consistently on the abuse that's happening, and we know that there are altercations happening in front of the health center, and we know that nobody wants to see that escalate. So just thank you to this board, the San Francisco City Attorney, the SFPD, for moving forward with this very promising measure that's going to uphold our city's proud tradition of protecting women while balancing First Amendment rights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. And thank you to all the Planned Parenthood staff who have to put up with this for years. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Sylvia Castillo, and I'm representing California Family Health Council. CFHC uh, is the manager of the Title X program for the state. We have a large network of clinics that offer reproductive health education, including four health centers here in the city of San Francisco, including uh, the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Supervisor Compos's district. Uh, we are here in strong support of Supervisor Compos's ordinance. And, Supervisor, we thank you very much for your leadership and tireless commitment uh, in support of ensuring women can have access to the vital health care services that they need. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, and I want to thank Patty for once again flying up to San Francisco. It's an honor to have you here. Well, it's an honor to be here, and, and, and I want to particularly thank you um, for bringing this legis legislation to the, to the floor today. There is nothing more important than recognizing women's full humanity. Nothing more important. And unfortunately, we have to live with a Supreme Court that defines free speech as har harassment and terroristic threats and all kinds of things that under any other circumstances are illegal. Um, and it's like a kind of like a really weird, bizarre content um, not neutral world when it comes to women. Uh, and, and having San Francisco put an put a, a exclamation point on what it really means to be free in America. And, and part of that freedom is the ability to be free from threat and to be safe in your body and, and, and to be in control of your body. Um, and so I am, I am proud to come up here um, from Los Angeles, and believe me, I will be bringing this legislation down to Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully that, that, that will um, uh, come about very, very uh, soon and quickly. And thank you again for making that, having a model so that we can duplicate this all over the state and all over the country. Thank you very much. And, and again, thank you to Patty Bellasalma, the president of the California National Organization for Women for what everything you do. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Steph Firing. And when I was growing up, I screwed up. I got pregnant. It was before Roe v. Wade. And my grandparents paid a doctor that was in their building to do an abortion. I had a, a, a condition called, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was, but the placenta, what's where the pl placenta preview, where the placenta is in front of the baby 
if I had gone to term with that pregnancy, the baby would have died and I probably would have. And I want to thank David Campos for, for getting up and doing something like this because, like I said, the baby would have died and I could have. Thank you so much. Thank you for your courage for sharing that important story. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Creeley. Um, I'm here uh, mostly as myself, but I'm happy to wear a Planned Parenthood t-shirt. Um, and I wanted to say to the last speaker, you didn't screw up. Our culture screwed up in penalizing you for making a pragmatic and healthy decision for your body. And this legislation today is a part of redressing that. I support the legislation. I have every confidence it will pass. I'm sorry that the buffer zone, which I thought was working great, got struck down, but, you know, onward and upward. And importantly, I wanted to say one of the reasons I support this type of legislation is that the long, arduous process of making sure that women understand they are ultimately the authorities in all matters, on all matters related to their reproductive capability is a long and slow and hard one. When you challenge the anti-choice zealots' false authority on the sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood Clinic, you are adding to the tradition that will hopefully culminate in women really getting that they're the architects of their lives, they are the authority over their bodies, and it is on them to make the best decisions they can possibly make in tandem with their health care provider, their partner, their family, whoever but that ultimately they are authorities, not acting alone, acting with support, but it is their decision. The anti-choice zealots in front of Planned Parenthood falsely claim authority over some truth. They don't have that truth. So I look forward to this legislation passing, and I want to thank David Campos for his absolutely sterling leadership on this issue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Heidi Hess, and I'm a campaign manager at Credo Action. We're a national organization, but we're here in San Francisco. I'm also a mom in the mission. So um, I'm here today from Credo to um, remind you that when the buffer zone legislation passed the last time, we organized 2,000 San Francisco residents in support of the buffer zone legislation. So they're ready to be supportive if needed again. Um, they're excited that when the Supreme Court seems uh, committed to undermining women's right, the Board of Supervisors is committed to standing up for women. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there uh, any other member of the public who has not spoken who would like to speak? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Colleagues, before we actually uh, vote on the substance of, of the legislation, I know that we have a number of technical uh, changes, amendments uh, that need to be made, and uh, we have copies uh, of those amendments. Uh, it's sort of, they include you know, some uh, typographical errors and and just uh, technical changes. Oh, thank you. Uh, and so I would like to uh, request a motion from the committee to uh, amend the legislation along the technical lines that are uh, included in the copies that you saw. So maybe I, I will ask our Deputy City Attorney, John Givner, to highlight uh, what those changes are. Sure, Mr. Givner. 
Deputy City Attorney John Givner, just a few really minor uh, tweaks, a uh, misplaced period that was changed, a word that was accidentally deleted uh, that are non-substantive. The, the only uh, even mildly notable uh, proposed amendment is, uh, is that Section 4303 provides that the 25-foot uh, zone around a, around a clinic applies during business hours and also one hour before business hours. And um, the enforcement section, Section 4305 in the ordinance, uh, stated that the police could issue dispersal orders only during business hours. So we changed that to business hours and also one hour before business hours just to uh, make sure that police have all the, the uh, have the ability to disperse uh, harassing gatherings uh, during all the times when those gatherings would be prohibited. Great. Thank you, Mr. Givner. Uh, Supervisor Yee, any comments or any com Okay. Supervisor Yee. I just want to move the amendments. So we have a motion to amend. Can Second. we take the motion to amend without objection? Uh, why don't we have a roll call? on the amended legislation. And again, I want to thank everyone who has fought to make this happen. On the motion, Supervisor Mar? Aye. Mar, aye. Supervisor Yee? Aye. Yee, aye. Supervisor Campos? Aye. Campos, aye. We have three ayes, Mr. Chair. The item passes unanimously. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And this will be going to the Board of Supervisors for a vote shortly. Mr. Clerk, can we call the next item? Sorry, Mr. Chair. We passed the amendment on that, and we are in receipt of a memo to for this is a committee report. So, so if we can uh, uh, have a motion to for this is a committee report. So moved. Okay. Without objection. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you can now please call the next item. Item number two is an ordinance amending the administrative code to require certain city contractors and subcontractors with 20 or more employees to submit an equal pay report regarding compensation paid to employees and establishing the Equal Pay Advisory Board to analyze and recommend the best methods of data collection that will identify wage gaps and setting forth the membership and duties of the advisory board. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Clark. And uh, like to to begin by again noting that uh, today is a very special day for this committee because we have two very important items that impact uh, the, the lives of women and, and not only women but uh, because of uh, the very important role that women play in our society, uh, it impacts all of us, every single family. Despite the passage of the Equal Pay Act of 1963 more than 50 years ago, an act that requires that men and women in the same workplace be given equal pay for equal work, the gender gap in pay persists in this country. Census data from 2011 shows that the average woman still earns 77 cents for every dollar earned by men. The pay gap is even greater for African American and Latina women with African-American women earning 64 cents on the dollar and Latinas earning 56 cents for every dollar earned by a Caucasian man. Women comprise more than 50% of the labor force in the United States. The consequences of wage discrimination are therefore extremely significant. It means that women are having a difficult time making ends meet and keeping up with inflation.
in San Francisco, we are experiencing an affordability crisis. And because of that crisis, women and families are having a much harder time paying rent, securing health care, paying for child care, and saving for a rainy day or retirement. Eliminating wage discrimination is not only a matter of fairness, it's something that will have a real material impact on women, their families, and society as a whole. Equal pay for equal work means that we can grow the middle class and build a broader economic base for our country. Equal pay for equal work is therefore not only a women's issue, it is an issue for every American, an issue for every San Franciscan. This equal pay legislation is aimed at making equal pay for equal work a reality at hundreds of San Francisco workplaces. The legislation is modeled after President Obama's recent federal directive that requires federal contractors to report compensation data, including data on the race and gender of employees to the Federal Office of Contract Compliance. My legislation would do something similar for local contractors that is unique and groundbreaking in several important ways. And this is what the legislation does. It adds uh, a new section to the Administrative Code's non-discrimination provisions that requires all city contractors with, with at least 20 employees to submit an annual equal pay report to the city's Human Rights Commission this report will include summary compensation information for employees identified by sex and race. The legislation also creates an initial phase and period during which the director of the Human Rights Commission is charged with convening a work group to design a data collection system that is best suited to both identify if which wage discrimination is taking place at a workplace and minimize administrative burdens on city contractors. The Board of Supervisors, the Mayor's Office, and the Commission on the Status of Women all will appoint members to this working group. Again, unprecedented that we have a legislation that includes a long face-in process that ensures as much input and transparency and involvement for members of the public as possible. After an initial phase-in period, if the Human Rights Commission believes that wage discrimination has taken place at a particular business, the Human Rights Commission can proactively investigate that business to determine whether workers receive equal pay for equal work. If the Human Rights Commission determines that the employer has violated equal pay, uh, it can impose penalties against the company and or terminate or suspend any outstanding contract with the city and county of San Francisco. The Human Rights Commission will report annually to the Board of Supervisors on the data it collects, on any trends in pay discrimination, on the number uh, of investigations it commenced based on the equal pay reports that it received, and the number of contractors that were penalized for violating equal pay laws. Discrimination based on gender and race is already prohibited in the city's administrative code and by federal law. However, the Human Rights Commission only enforces the provision when individuals actually file allegations of unequal pay. It is simply hard for women to determine whether they are actually victims of wage discrimination 
because as a 2011 survey from the Institute for Women's uh, Policy Research found, half of workers report that the discussion of wage and salary information is either discouraged or actually prohibited uh, by employers and that that discussion of wage and salary could lead to punishment in many workplaces. There is essentially a culture of secrecy around compensation, a culture of secrecy that has ensured that this inequality continues. This legislation is groundbreaking because it provides the Human Rights Commission the data it needs to proactively investigate businesses without actually having to rely on an individual worker complaints and therefore ensure equal pay for equal work at hundreds of businesses that contract with the city and county of San Francisco. The legislation is also unique in, the, in that it contains consequences for contractors that are violating equal pay laws. If after an investigation the Human Rights Commission believes that discrimination has occurred, the contractor can be required to pay monetary penalties and or risk uh, losing its contract with the city. We would become the first governmental entity to attach consequences to failure to comply with equal pay laws in this country. I believe this legislation will put San Francisco on the map as one of the leaders in the country in ensuring that finally, after decades of fighting for equality, we will finally secure equal pay for equal work in this country. I want to thank a number of organizations uh, that have worked with us to make this legislation possible, including equal rights advocates, the California chapter of the National Organization for Women, the Legal Aid Society, the Employment Law Center, the San Francisco Women's Political Committee, La Raza Centro Legal, the Asian Law Caucus, Bay Area Equal Pay Collaborative, the California Teachers Association, the California Nurses Association, the National Union of Healthcare Workers, Service Employees International Union Local 21, and the Commission on the Status of Women. I want to specifically thank uh, Hillary Ronan in my office, who from the moment that we started talking about how we cannot deal with the inequality in San Francisco unless we also address, address the issue of the gender gap, she immediately started working with people who have uh, expertise in this area and who have dedicated their lives to addressing issues of gender equality. Uh, Hillary specifically, uh, I'm grateful that you worked uh, with experts at the state, local, and federal level. Uh, thank you for reaching out, and we want to thank her to Nancy Kirchner Rodriguez, the president of the Commission on the Status of Women, uh, uh, who we have spoken to you know, way before this was even introduced, uh, and who gave some important advice and helpful advice as to who else should be included in this process, to Teresa Sparks, the executive director of the Human Rights Commission, to uh, Elmi Bermejo, the regional representative for Labor Secretary Tom Perez, to Kelly Jenkins-Poltz, uh, who's a representative from the Federal Women's Bureau, to Martha Burke, the architect of the New Mexico Pay Equity Initiative, the first and only governmental entity so far in the country to collect equal pay data uh, from state contractors, to uh, Ruth Silvertov, co-founder of the Bay Area Equal Pay Collaborative. 
I also want to thank uh, my co-sponsors of this uh, important legislation. I want to thank Supervisor Kim and her office who have been working closely with us uh, from the beginning on this very important legislation. We want to thank them for the help, their advice, and their leadership to Supervisor Avalos and also to Supervisor Farrell, uh, who are all co-sponsoring this legislation. Uh, I know that uh, there have been a number of, uh, of questions uh, that have been raised. And let me say this, that one of the things that we have been very clear about is the fact that we as a city need to expeditiously act to make a commitment that we're going to collect this information. This is ultimately a data gathering uh, legislation. And we also want to be very clear that embedded in this legislation is a period of time during which all of the relevant city agencies have an opportunity to work together, not only with one another, but with the community to make sure that this is done in the proper way to make sure that all the various questions as to the most efficient, uh, uh, effective uh, way to collect data is, is done. Uh, I, I know that we have uh, been in communication with the Commission on the Status of Women, uh, that when we uh, discussed this legislation with them more than a month ago, they had a number of suggestions that we have incorporated into uh, this uh, legislation. Uh, we have been talking uh, to President of the Commission on the Status of Women, uh, who was among the first people that we discussed this item with, uh, again to the uh, uh, Director of the Human Rights uh, Commission. Uh, and uh, today uh, we are going to have a, a number of uh, amendments, including one amendment to address some of the concerns uh, that, was, uh, that were raised by the Human Rights Commission. The point today is that this legislation was introduced more than a month ago. We have had plenty of time to review what is essentially a, a data gathering uh, legislation. The Equal Pay Act passed in 1963 and still to this day women are making less. Uh, it is important for us to act. So with respect to the amendments, uh, just want to just identify the, the specific amendments. Uh, first is an amendment to just correct uh, a drafting oversight, uh, and we will distribute copies of these amendments. Uh, we will make sure that, uh, okay, we have those copies from the city attorney's office, if we, the clerk can hand them out. The first amendment, again, is to correct the drafting oversight uh, on page 5, line 15. Um, I am adding the language. Uh, and I quote, thereafter, each contractor of subcontractors shall file an equal pay rent uh, pay report annually, end quote. Uh, that's just uh, a drafting oversight on our part. The second amendment specifies the qualifications uh, for each of the seven seats on the commission that will be created. Those amendments start on page 10, line 11, and end on page 11, line 3. So let me... Uh, Thank you. Page 11, line 3. My apologies. 
a person, and, and let me uh, just read the, a person with expertise on discrimination against women of color. See, uh, so actually, let me go back to, to page 10. Uh, and these are the seats for this commission. Seat one, a person who works in or represents workers in an industry where wage discrimination is common. Seat two, a person who has worked as a discrimination or employment lawyer with an emphasis on gender equity. Seat three, a person with expertise on discrimination against women of color. Seat four, a person who works in human resources responsible for diversity. Seat five, a person who owns a small or medium-sized business that has contracted with the city and county of San Francisco. Seat six, a person who has worked in quantitative gender analysis, including statistics. And seat seven, a person with experience, uh, with experience advocating for equal pay for equal work. The, sec the last amendment, the third amendment, is uh, on section uh, 12B, 2-3B. Uh, which will be amended to read that the advisory board's recommendations shall include recommendations for additional ordinances if legislative change is necessary or desirable to implement the recommendations. And this is a very important point, that not only have we created uh, an additional process, a face-in process, but the, uh, the, there is a recognition that once there is that additional uh, face-in process, that there may be amendments to the legislation that are presented based on the advice of the various agencies, based on the advice of other businesses, based on the advice of the community, and that at that point, uh, this advisory board would be able to make those recommendations and in fact bring those amendments to the Board of Supervisors for review and action. So uh, I will leave it at that at this point, uh, colleagues. Uh, I, before we uh, turn it over to uh, public comment, I want to give you an opportunity. Okay. Great. Wonderful. Now, why don't we turn it over to public comment, and I have a number of cards uh, that folks have, uh, have uh, filled out. Maria Guillen. Elizabeth Alexander, Dr. Emily Morase, Henny Kelly, Ramses Tech, Tammy Bryant, Tim Tavaglioni, Pilar Schiavo, Patricia Villasalma, and any other member of the public who would like to speak. Oh, and actually we have uh, Teresa's parts as well. Great. Commissioners, thank you. Um, I'm Maria Guillen, um, representing SEIU 10 to 1. And I stand in full support of changing the administrative code uh, to include this equal pay uh, measure. Just as I have come here before, to protest wage theft in the private sector or to advocate for nonprofit contractors to receive fair and adequate COLAs. I am a city worker and a union member, and that has provided me with some benefits. As a city worker, uh, my 
classification is protected under the Civil Service uh, uh, Commission, and and there is in fact transparency um, about my salary, and so I do earn as much as my white male counterparts. In the past, I have also benefited from the fact that my legacy local 790, SEIU 790, worked really diligently 30 years ago to make sure that workers in classifications that were doing the same work as others, um, other uh, white males, uh, these would be workers that were uh, women or people of color doing similar work, we made sure that we instituted a pay equity uh, for these members. What I'd like to do um, is mention that I would like no less and wish for no less for all workers in San Francisco, especially those workers being paid by tax dollars. So I do hope that uh, this is something that can move forward. I'm actually taking a class right now, labor history class. Uh, I would like for my great nieces to one day learn that San Francisco made this bold step to bring pay equity, equal pay for equal work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Elizabeth Alexander, um, and I am a member of 10 to 1, and I also um, am a nonprofit worker myself. Um, over 30 years ago, the city took the bold step of reviewing all of its job classifications, d um, comparing them on several different categories, risk, um, uh, education requirements, the demand of the job, and then compared job classification by job classification, both within the job classification and then also across job, job categories to see uh, if jobs that were mostly being held by men, mostly being held by women, and mostly being uh, held by people of color, how the wages compared. And they found in this great progressive city that we still were practicing wage discrimination. And it was only because of reporting and because of very, very thorough reporting that we were able to correct that. As a nonprofit worker myself, it was only because of the protection of our union that we were able to discover what people were earning. And it was because of the protection of our union that we were able to correct it. But even in the, our great progressive nonprofit organizations that do good work, they don't study this stuff internally. It is only through reporting that we're going to be able to see and help them correct whether or not they're doing this on purpose or whether they're not. Um, often, too often discrimination is something that people don't even realize they're doing, and it is only through reporting um, that we can actually see this is what's happening. And so thank you for this historic and important legislation. Thank you very much. And, you know, uh, I want to give, uh, after Ms. Mrs. Kelly speaks, I want to give an opportunity to the two department heads who are here, uh, Dr. Marazzi and uh, Teresa Sparks, to, to speak first after Mrs. Kelly. Hi there. My name is Henny Kelly. Uh, I was a teacher all my life. Uh, we were always, we were union. We were always paid the same. But I spoke before you once before and explained why teachers were paid so little. People consider that a woman's job. I'm also here today because I'm old. And I want to see equality for women, equal pay for women in my lifetime. 
I want to see it for my grandchildren, for my daughter, and for my great-grandchildren. And I want to point up one thing in this this pro- what you have done here, uh, Supervisor, and that is the gestation period that you are giving this law, this piece of legislation. You are giving nine months to work this out. Nine months is what it took me to carry my child and birth my firstborn. I teach family life. You know it. It all comes down to birth. It all comes down to that nine months. And during that nine months, I worried and worked hard to make sure I kept my body healthy and I did everything right. And that is what you are doing with this. You are giving it the gestation period. You are giving it nine months. And then after the baby is born, you are even giving it more help to grow and change. And I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Morase. Good afternoon. I'm Emily Murase, Executive Director of the Department on the Status of Women. I first want to thank Supervisor Campos and his staff, uh, Hillary Ronan in particular, for their efforts on this important issue. Ms. Ronan reached out to our department and we provided input into the draft, in particular the qualifications for the Equal Pay Advisory Board, including a person who works in human resources responsible for diversity, a person who owns a small or medium-sized business that is contracted with the city and county of San Francisco, and a person who has worked in quantitative gender analysis. Uh, however, I, I would like to raise three concerns. First, uh, not all of the women supervisors have had an opportunity to review the proposed legislation. I spoke with Supervisor Katie Tang, staff of Supervisor London Breed, and they hadn't been consulted, so I hope that the process could include all of the women supervisors. And I note that uh, this particular committee is not uh, gender balanced. Um, secondly, business has not been at the table. Uh, I mentioned uh, the legislation to the Executive Director of the Chamber of Commerce, um, and he was not aware of it. Um, I'm also hoping that the Small Business Commission could be consultant as this, consulted as this legislation has far-reaching impacts on businesses that contract with the city that have 20 or more employees. And I note that Jim Lazarus is also in the audience from the chamber. And then finally, um, have we conducted an audit of the city's record on equal pay? Uh, before we go out and ask the business community to disclose information, shouldn't we ask these questions of the city first? So the Commission on the Status of Women met last night, and the Commission has asked for an opportunity to convene a special session to review the proposed legislation thoroughly. We all support equal pay, and our goal is the same. We're asking for additional time to ensure the best possible legislation. Thank you. Uh, Sir, Supervisor Mark. Chair Campos, um, uh, Ms. Dr. Dr. Morasi, Morasi, I just wanted to say that I'm strongly supportive of this legislation and, and efforts that the Commission has led as well, but it sounds like you're being extremely critical of um, a process that Supervisor Campos already mentioned that he had checked in with quite a few of the um, advocates and stakeholder groups, including Nancy Kirshner-Rodriguez and others from the beginning, 
And it just sounds like you're being super critical of something that you should be strongly supportive of. And I'll just say that as an ally and a friend of yours. And I would hope that um, as you raise the three concerns and others, and I know Jim Lazarus can raise his concerns on his own, that you would strongly be supportive of efforts like this that advance the the mission and the charge of the Commission of the Status of Women. But that's that's my gut-level reaction from what you just said. So we are very supportive of equal pay, but we want to be sure we have the best possible legislation and that there is a broad base of stakeholders, including the other women supervisors. I just want to note in response to this, uh, just, you know, because I think facts are important and I, I appreciate the comments by Supervisor Marr. Uh, so it was in August, uh, at least one month before we introduced the legislation uh, that my uh, uh, Chief of Staff, Hillary Ronan, uh, called the President of the San Francisco Commission on the Status of Women, uh, uh, Nancy Kirshner Rodriguez, as the policy-making body uh, for the, this department. We thought it was important that we spoke uh, directly uh, to, to, to that individual. Uh, it was uh, Ms. Kirshner Rodriguez uh, was actually the first person that my office called uh, to talk about this legislation. And not only did she tell uh, Ms. Ronan uh, that she loved the idea of this ordinance and thought it would be very meaningful, uh, but she actually put our office in touch with a number of representatives at the federal level who are creating regulations for a similar effort at the federal level. Uh, and these individuals that, uh, that this commissioner pointed to us uh, are the ones who shape uh, this law. I also want to note that immediately upon introduction of the ordinance, uh, uh, my uh, chief of staff called Dr. Marase uh, to get her feedback. Uh, and we have the, the correspondence and copies that we're, uh, we, can, we can provide. But uh, she did not respond uh, for two weeks. Uh, and when she did respond, uh, 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 my office met with her, received her feedback, uh, and we're actually about to incorporate uh, that feedback with the amendment that we will introduce, one of the amendments that we will introduce today. I personally also spoke to Dr. Marase, and she had a suggestion that we incorporate it. Uh, and none of these issues that were raised uh, were raised to her, uh, by her to me at that point. Uh, and uh, uh, let me just uh, make, it, make, make it very clear, too, that uh, uh, we have incorporated into this legislation uh, a process for input uh, from the public, uh, from all of the stakeholders. And while I appreciate that uh, the uh, Commission on the Status of Women, through the comments that were made today, is worried about the Chamber of Commerce having a say, I, I would imagine that the top priority for this commission should be how do we end uh, uh, the uh, pay inequity that is hurting women and families in San Francisco. There is a process that is already uh, embedded in this legislation that will allow the Chamber of Commerce and any other business uh, or any other player or entity that is impacted by this to have a say. The interesting thing is at the end of the day, What's so remarkable about this piece of legislation is that what we are talking about is simply the act of collecting data, collecting information on whether or not, collecting information on whether or not women are being underpaid in the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, I am happy to debate 
that question with whoever wants to debate it. Uh, but I would imagine that I would hope and would think that in 2014, that should not be a debatable issue in the city and county of San Francisco. We should collect data to at least know whether or not discrimination is taking place. I just want to close by saying, uh, I reiterate, we all want the same thing. We fully support equal pay. Uh, we are just requesting additional time to make sure it's the best possible legislation. And, and one thing that I would note, and I, I think your point is noted, Dr. Marase, and you're happy to, to hear more, um, but it, it's been a month, more than a month, since the Commission on the Status of Women has known about this legislation. My question to you when you called me back this morning was, if you were meeting yesterday, why wasn't this item on the agenda of the commission uh, when you have known that this was introduced more than a month ago when uh, the president of the commission was informed a month before the legislation was, was introduced? Why would this issue of pay equity for women not be enough of a priority that it would be discussed on the agenda of this body last night. So we're simply asking for additional time to make sure that we uh, vet all of the unintended consequences. We want it to be the best possible legislation. Thank you. Now I want to give uh, I want to give uh, uh, the Executive Director of the Human Rights Commission. And I want to thank, uh, as always, you know, uh, I, I serve with uh, uh, Director Sparks on the Police Commission, and uh, she is always available to, uh, to uh, talk to us. And I want to thank her for her feedback and, and uh, for all the things that she does and the very important role that she plays. So, Director Sparks. Thank you, Supervisor Campos. Supervisors, um we're probably the second person that David Campos's office has called after talking to the director of the, or the chair of the uh, Commission of Status of Women. Um, and at that time, we told Hillary there were a couple of issues that bothered us. One was there was the issue of, of uh, staff costing, staff cost and cat staff uh, um, uh, uh, accountability. And in the legislation, it says that um, Human Rights Commission city agencies would provide pro, pro bono hours to implement this this um, legislation and uh, if in fact there is a hearing required investigation required and this process required um, it actually does take real staff time and it actually does take uh, cost it does cost uh, the city money and so we would ask that you reconsider that in a final version to compensate at least uh, the agencies that are involved to compensate for the actual time um, that we spend as all as you I'm sure know when we come before the budget committee in June and as of last June uh, we don't have a lot of extra people lying around now they're all pretty much working full full staff full full uh, full schedule so we would ask that be one consideration another consideration and and just to be honest, we just finished a detailed analysis of the legislation literally last night. And I apologize for the tardiness and it should have been done earlier. But uh, one thing we did notice is definition of sex and gender. Uh, one thing this would not uh, acknowledge is if someone is gender nonconforming, 
who also uh, identifies as a woman, how that person would be handled in this legislation and whether or not they would be part of the paradigm which would uh, include them in uh, the pay disparity. We know there's a pay disparity with women. We also know that with people who are gender nonconforming, there's a substantially greater pay disparity, uh, particularly of women of color who are gender nonconforming. So that's an issue, I think, that needs to be addressed in this, and it could be a very serious issue because we're trying to address all women, um, not just women who are uh, 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 birth sex women, biological women. In addition, um, the definition we found when, when, uh, when collecting data around the local business ordinance over the last several years and also before when we did WBE ordinance, it was very difficult to define uh, race. And, and there were problems with categorizing race in large buckets. Uh, in some cases, um, uh, Latinos were categorized in one bucket where there may have been different uh, discrimination based on different uh, categories, categories of, of Latinos. Um, people of, of color, um, uh, Asians particularly, were all categorized in one particular uh, bucket. So we think that at some point we need to be, there needs to be more discussion about how better to def define that. And then the final issue that we see, and all of these issues I want to say up front can be resolved. Uh, none of them are, uh, are, are beyond resolution. But another issue is aggregation of, of information as opposed to collecting specific information on specific people. Uh, many of the federal government uh, forums on collecting this kind of information aggregates it rather than, than having specific information on individuals. And that protects that individual's right of privacy. So that's something you might want to consider. Uh, in, in looking at this. So uh, we would recommend uh, a, a one or two week uh, period uh, to, to solve these issues. If it happens after the, afterwards, uh, when the uh, committee meets, the advisory body meets, um, that's fine too. It would just have to go to the board a second time. Um, I want to emphasize, though, our full support for this legislation. Uh, we've told Commissioner Cam or Supervisor Campos' office from day one, we fully support this legislation. It's something that's needed. It's something that will be emulated nationwide, we're sure, much as some of the other legislation San Francisco has developed through the years, and we thank him for his courage and also his, uh, his forthright attitude to bring this forward to the Board of Supervisors. Those are our comments, uh, and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. If I may, Director Sparks, let me say that I, I want to thank you for the very detailed analysis, and, and we understand there's a lot going on, so we understand you know, why it took some time to do that. Uh, but uh, let me be very clear that the reason that we approached the legislation the way we have, where we created an advisory board, where we actually have a phasing period of nine months uh, before this actually begins to be implemented, is to provide a process uh, to address the very complicated issues that you actually have raised. Uh, the reason that we provided general parameters, sex, race, is because we know that the definition of sex, of definition of race, those are complicated issues, and, and we believe that uh, it is better for us as a board, as the policy-making body, to simply provide the general parameters with the understanding that it will be through the work of this body that those issues uh, will be 
uh, address. Uh, you also raised uh, uh, important points uh, around uh, not just, you know, including sex uh, and race, but also age and national origin. And again, you know, we modeled uh, our law on the federal law, which chose to uh, to, to do that, uh, uh, but again, you know, there is nothing that precludes uh, the advisory board if it believes through this public process that those categories should be included of adding that. And the same thing is true uh, in terms of how you define you know, some of the other questions that you raise, the race of Latinos, how, how does that happen, how would uh, the, the, the sex of a transgender employee be categorized, uh, I don't know that uh, the Board of Supervisors itself has the expertise to, to make that determination. I think that's uh, where the, the, the expertise and knowledge of the advisory body uh, board uh, would be uh, better suited to address those issues, uh, like how should biracial, multiracial employees be categorized. And then I want to thank you for a very important piece of information that you, that you provided that actually underscores how modest this legislation is. Um, uh, we are talking about, based on the definition of employer that we're talking about, 20 employees or more, only 11% of city contractors will be covered by this legislation. Uh, only 11%. And so it's a very modest step uh, that we're taking. Uh, and then in terms of funding, one of the reasons that we wanted to have this face-in nine-month period is precisely because we wanted to have a better sense of what the budget uh, necessity to implement this would be. So by the time that this nine-month period ends, we will be in the next budget cycle and we will be able to advocate for a specific amount with a more targeted set of numbers. Uh, and that's why we did it this way, because we completely agree with you, Director Sparks, that uh, we need to make sure that your department, the Committee the Commission on the Status of Women, are properly uh, staffed uh, uh, and that there is enough funding uh, allocated. Uh, so in response to your question, we have embedded in this legislation the process to make sure that all of your questions are answered, but that they're answered by folks like you and other experts who actually know what the answer should be. Well, thank you, Supervisor. I just want to emphasize, we're not trying to dilute your, your, your legislation. We think going for uh, uh, disparity based on sex and gender is very, very important. But if you start including race and other things in it, we think there may be some other areas that might give us some opportunities as well, particularly, uh, you know, country of birth and origin and some of these issues to really define which women are getting paid even less. And but again, I want to emphasize we're not trying to delay or 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 Thank dilute you. the legislation. We think this is extremely important legislation. And again, once again, we commend you for going forward. Thank you. And one note that I would add is that uh, as, as this item moves forward uh, to the board, which is uh, our hope and expectation, is this, if there are additional questions between now and then, we're happy to work with you, Director Sparks. We're happy to work with Director Morase uh, to answer any questions. And obviously, if, if there are questions that remain unanswered, you know, we're happy to talk about you know, what the next step, uh, whether there's more time that's needed at that point. Uh, we want this to be done right, but we also want to make sure that we're not delaying something 
that uh, women have been waiting for for more than 50 years. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, next speaker, and I'm going to read a few more names. Uh, Ruth Silver-Taub, Daryl and Davis, uh, Ling Tan, and George Cheney. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon, um, supervisors. My name is Ramses Teo Nichols. I am a uh, nonprofit worker here in San Francisco and also vice president of organizing for SEIU Local 1021. I'm a, I'm a union member uh, as a nonprofit worker. And I want to share my experience you know, on this issue and, and why I think this is a great uh, legislation piece. And I'm very proud that you, this is being considered um, as a person of color and as a man. I've gone through the experience in about three or four nonprofit organizations here in San Francisco, all of them city-funded or mostly or to all city-funded, including my particular employment, where I came, to a, I came to a place in my work once where I was being written up, I was being picked on uh, because of my uh, job performance, and I looked around and found solidarity from my white coworkers on the same job classification because they knew I was doing exactly the same work they were doing. And so they provided that solidarity with me. It turned into a unionizing campaign for us at this particular uh, two nonprofits, right, because we were seeing a set of discrimination and inequality happening there that we just, our gut feeling was that things are not happening right around this. And as we decided to form a union uh, at two nonprofits, actually, city-funded, when, when we finally won and when we started negotiating and management had to open up the books, we discovered exactly what we felt for years, which was pay inequality. And specifically what we found, you know, for me personally, I found one location I was the highest paid person, and I was paid $2 more an hour than a few uh, African-American women doing the exact same kind of work for about 20 to 30 years experience. I only had about two years. And these are nonprofit organizations that have mission statements for social justice, equality, opportunity, against poverty, right? And what I'm saying is if we don't place an expectation on all employers in the city to, to have pay equality, we're probably not going to see it. So please do this. I support this 100%. Thank you very much. Supervisor Marr, do you have a question? No. no. Okay, thank you. Next speaker, uh, and I have a card from Ruben Garcia. Uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, Rachel uh, Larkston, uh, but any member of the public who would like to speak, come on up. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Tammy Bryan, and I just want to say I'm actually very gratified to have male supervisors who are fighting for me and, and on my behalf. So I wanted to say that when I first heard about this legislation, I was actually shocked that it was even necessary because I already thought equal pay for equal work was the law, and it is. But apparently it's not being enforced, the data is not being collected, and, and nothing's being done about it. Well, for me, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable, unacceptable to me as a woman, as a mother, and a grandmother with multiracial children and a multiracial grandson. We live in a society that promotes fairness and equality, yet we let income inequity continue. And from my personal experience, um, I've worked for the Census Bureau, unemployment insurance, and now um, as an eligibility worker for food stamps and Medi-Cal, and I've always been a bilingual Spanish-speaking worker. And I have knows, known from my, my work and always interviewing people about their jobs and their income that people of color and women are clearly always working at very hard jobs and, and getting paid the least and, and making much less than they should. And this is extremely unfair. 
So given how expensive this city is and how this lack of enforcement for, of equal pay for equal work is tangibly hurting working people every day, I urge you to pass this immediately so that people can live a little better in San Francisco starting now. I mean, I understand there's a nine-month process, and that's important because it will need that review and evaluation, but the sooner we start, the better. And I finally just want to say that if the federal government's always already doing this, that if we're a city that professes to, to embrace diversity and promote justice, we need to pass this legislation now. We cannot delay justice for hardworking people. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Daryl Lynn Davis. I'm a small business owner here in San Francisco, and I support equal pay for equal work. However, with this legislation, I think there's been a bit of a rush, and I'd like to ask that you take a little more time to hear from a variety of organizations and interest groups, like women of color uh, organizations, small business associations, so that you can get more input. There is a great impact on small businesses. The legislation currently states that its contractors is 50,000 or more and, 20 and or 20 employees. So it's not just 20 employees. I want to be clear about that. So you need to really look at the impacts prior to actually paying for and putting the resources into a separate board beyond the HRC and other organizations, uh, city agencies that can help inform this process. So I'd like to suggest to you that you look at the impact on small business to take a little more time to talk with a, a much more diverse and inclusive group of people. And uh, thirdly, to um, look at the impact in terms of exposing our salaries to our competitors, how you might be able to do that. The data is very important. But then when, when that data comes to the city, it becomes sunshineable, and that also uh, create some conflict for small business owners. Thank you. Uh, Roberta Guys. Patricia Bellasama, California National Organization for Women. Mm -hmm. Transparency and accountability. We've been waiting for it for, since 1963. I haven't seen it yet. Right? Sunshine, that's what we need. Uh, data. There is no privacy interest in keeping your salary secret. There's only one reason why you want to keep your salary secret, and that's because you're getting paid more than somebody else who's doing the same job. Right? There is, we've heard these things since 1963, how difficult it is, how complicated, how infinitely complex the HR process is to figure out whether we're discriminating. It's not very complicated to discriminate, though. They seem to always be able to pay the white male more, and, and, and if we don't have, finally, enforcement mechanisms, they can just flout the law. And that, that has been our state of being since 1963. And it's time to stop. It's time for each one of our cities to start to tell business, because the paycheck 
honestly, I'm a member of, 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 of Human Resources um, uh, Department um, associations. Paycheck Fairness, they know it's, it's coming. They're already preparing for it. There's, there's lots of simple ways to, to get around it. City governments, state governments, unions, they figured it out even more than ni 1963. You just pay ev everybody in the same job classification the same amount of money, and then you report it. It's, it's really, really simple. It only gets complicated when you want to continue to do the bad practices that you've been doing for decades and decades on end. So thank you for doing this. We don't need to wait. Let's get on. Nine months, if you can't come to the plate in nine months, you don't deserve to have a voice. Thank you. Thank you. Just want to make a, a couple of points uh, that I want to make sure that are clear. One is that uh, the law is very clear that the data that we're talking about will be uh, confidential. There's actually uh, a section of the evidence code that allows for that to happen. This is not going to be uh, sunshineable. So I just want to make sure that there is no misunderstanding about that. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisor. I'm the woman on the uh, contractor in San Francisco. While I support the idea of a ego pay for ego work, I cannot see myself supporting the purpose the legislation requires contractors to submit detailed hiring patterns and the related procedure that may really form one contractor to the other. As it, for a small contractor, what puts me in a better advantage over a medium-sized and large-sized company is the fact that I have lower overhead. If this requirement goes in fact, my overhead will increase. You take away a little possible margin that I have because this requirement. I'm just a little bit uh, curious as why the city is asking us, the contractor, to demonstrate that we treat our female employees and the same as the male employees. And then meanwhile, the city discriminates against the women employees in promotion, career advancement. The lady project management and managers and contract managers who work for the city tell me of delay and bottlenecking practice that their male supervisors just to delay their rightful promotion. The ego pay required is the federal and the state law. And I'm not, we do not need to reinforce the law that is already working fine and do not need to be tempered with. I'm a woman on the minority contractor can assure you that there's no discrimination in our company. But we see a lot of discrimination coming from the male city employees to us and the male city employees. And also, um, there's other women on the business um, owner given a letter. Uh, even she cannot make it today. She wants to also to tell her concern, her concern about this job and the regulation that legislation that attend will be unfair control their pens, um, compensation practice. So Thank you very much. Thank you for providing this. Uh, the clerk can get a copy of that. Thank you. Next speaker. <clears throat> Testing. Oh, good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, my name is George Chang, uh, Vice President of the Asian American Contractors Association. Uh, we've, we have about 100 Asian American contractors in, in our nonprofit organization. 
also the co-owner of Tom's Metal Specialist, a steel construction company in the city. Uh, and to just add on to that, I'm also was a native. I'm a native San Francisco, born and raised here. Um, we think the due process for the formulation of this legislation was broken. In fact, Lena and I were one of the first ones to, to, to submit our blue cards, but we were the one of the last ones asked to come up for public commentary. Um, in terms of reaching out to, in terms of the due process, uh, Supervisor Campos mentioned that. Uh, only 11% of the contractors, only 11% of the contractors will be affected by this. But in his long list of stakeholders who he reached out to, he didn't mention one group that was in that 11%. That 11% is a burden on us, and not one, not one of us was asked to speak with Supervisor Campos. I'm talking about the, the uh, um, Associated General Contractors, the AAC, Asian American Contractors Association, the Hispanic Contractors Association, the Russian Contractors Association. None of us uh, the stakeholders who are going to be affected by this piece of le legislation was asked to speak to Supervisor Campos. Fundamentally, we're in agreement with equal pay for equal work. What we're in disagreement with is the definition of, of unequal work. That is not, it's silent in the legislation. There's no standards of enforcement. Most of the contractors are either union or paying prevailing wages. So, what that means is every worker in the field is paid the exact same wage in their, um, in their trade. Versus steel, for example, steel versus, versus plumbing work. So there really isn't a discussion. And, and second of all, the unions have control over the pay wages, not the contractors. So if there's some kind of penalty levied on the contractors, it's really the unions who give us a letter saying that what our union workers should be paid. And uh, finally, we just think there needs to be more due process to this legislation such that we can have the stakeholders who are affected by this legislation involved in it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Rachel Langston and I'm a staff attorney at the Legal Aid Society Employment Law Center of San Francisco. We're a public interest legal organization that advocates to improve the working lives of workers and their families. I'm honored to be here today in support of this really important legislation. We often hear from workers who are subject to really horrendous wage violations, including equal pay violations. Often these workers are at a disadvantage um, and unable to gain the information that they need in order to even learn that they have been subject to such violations. Or if they do have this information, they're hesitant to discuss it or oppose it because they're fearful of retaliation from their employers. This is why it is so vital that employers be encouraged to be transparent when it comes to their wage practices and that they be held accountable for ensuring that these practices are lawful and equitable. This legislation is an important and essential step toward instituting a procedure that will help both employers and the city and county recognize and eradicate discriminatory pay inequity. San Francisco has so often been at the forefront of important workers' rights legislation, leading the way for the state and the nation in this arena. Here we have another opportunity to once again make significant and groundbreaking steps toward ensuring equal pay for equal work and closing the gender wage gap. I urge your support for this legislation, and thank you for uh, your leadership, Supervisor Campos. This would be so significant for the city and county. Thank you again. 
Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, my name is Marisa Diaz and I'm an attorney with Equal Rights Advocates. I'm sorry, I forgot to turn one of those cards. Um, Equal Rights Advocates is a nonprofit here in San Francisco that has been a nationwide leader in ensuring that girls and women are given a fair and equal opportunity to success in school and at work. And I'm here today to lend our full support to the Equal Pay Ordinance. As part of our work, we have a national hotline where women and girls Call us to obtain legal advice and assistance when they face sex discrimination at work or at school. And it is through this hotline that we have met women like Lauren, who was hired as a geologist and offered what she was told was an entry-level salary to learn later and by chance that one of her male colleagues who had the same experience and credentials as her had been offered an entry-level salary that was over $10,000 more per year than hers. Or women like Crystal, who only discovered she was paid less than men for the same work after they had fired her for taking leave due to her pregnancy. Unfortunately, it is no surprise to us at Equal Rights Advocates and to many of the other advocates here that today in 2014, white women make on average just 78 cents to every man's dollar and that this pay gap is even larger for women of color. The number one reason that this pay gap continues to exist is because it is invisible. As, they, as Supervisor Campos mentioned, it is invisible because employers do not report this data and because many times employees are forbidden from talking about it. Women and advocates cannot challenge or even know that they're being discriminated against in pay if they have no way of finding out what their coworkers are making. San Francisco prides itself on being a national leader, and we're asking you to once again lead um, and take the charge among cities in this nation to make sure that our taxpayer dollars are not contributing to the gender pay gap in this city. Um, so we please ask you to support this ordinance and lend our full support. And also want to thank all of um, Supervisor Campos for his, Campos for his leadership um, on this bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. My name is Ruth Silvertoba. I'm here on behalf of the Legal Aid Society Employment Law Center, and I'm a founding member of the Bay Area Equal Pay Collaborative. The mission of the Bay Area Equal Pay Collaborative is to address and end the gender wage gap. We formed because the gender wage gap is a huge problem, and a lot of nonprofits and government agencies decided that a collaborative was the best way to help shine a light on this issue and to uh, urge local governments to uh, enact ordinances um, and, and develop advisory boards um, to uh, do exactly what Supervisor Campos um, is proposing. Um, I'm frankly astounded at the opposition here today. Uh, what Supervisor Campos is proposing is very modest. It is an ad advisory board to address all these concerns. And in fact, one of the speakers mentioned that it's the union's fault and there's a union. Well, this issue is very personal to me because I was a machinist 
who worked at a union shop and performed the identical job to a man on a different shift on the same machine, but I was paid at a labor grade six level while he was paid at a labor grade nine level. There were also welders who were paid um, lower, female welders paid less than male welders, and in my outreach um, as an attorney with a nonprofit, I also see the pay disparity. Um, I, um, as Dolores Huerta stated, when the San Francisco wage theft ordinance was enacted, what starts in San Francisco goes through California, then all across the country. The same will be true of this equal pay ordinance that's, that's created after the advisory board meets and addresses all the concerns. Um, I thank Supervisor Campos for his leadership on this issue. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Kim Tavaloni, National Union of Healthcare Workers. The past two days, I felt like I was thrown back to 1960. All I've been doing is talking about this legislation to other supervisors and people throughout the community. And this pushback that I'm getting is the same pushback that was given about civil rights. It's not the right time. Giving blacks the rights to vote, it's not the right time. Giving women the rights to vote, it's not the right time. The racists, the sexists are all alive, and they're here in, in City Hall, unfortunately. And they're playing games, and they're playing politics with women's rights. Once again, I'm going to remind people, read your history. This is a moral issue. Anyone who votes against this legislation is morally bankrupt. This legislation is important. It's only a collection of data. Collecting the data. We, uh, no one can dispute the statistics. Women get paid less. It's a national statistic. I want to see the person who's going to argue that women make more. I want to see him. Resurrect Phil Schlafly, though I think she was here earlier. Um, this issue is basic. It's moral. There's no reason to vote against it. If people want to play politics with women's rights, um, you're in the wrong city and you need to go. That's all I have to say. It's a moral issue. We deserve equal pay. That's it. Thank you. Next speaker. Supervisor Jim Lazarus, San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. We uh, support the concept of this legislation as we support the underlying anti-discrimination legislation for contractors that is already in the administrative code. Uh, our problems are lack of definition of process reporting uh, and employee and employer rights uh, to privacy. Is this going to be collected in the aggregate? Is it going to be collected individually? Are names going to be connected? Uh, or is employer proprietary data going to be protected from outside sunshine? Uh, has this been appropriately referred? Perhaps not to the commissions. You had commission executive directors here. I think this can all be worked out, as the director of the HRC said, but I don't think there's been broad outreach to the employer community as well as other interested entities to really get down to how this legislation needs to be defined at the Board of Supervisors level, not at an advisory committee or not even at the HRC nine months from now when rules and regulations may be issued. 
We think some of this can be dealt with in the next few weeks. Certainly it can get through the Board of Supervisors um, before somebody gets sworn into the state legislature in December. Uh, so we, we look forward to working with you on this legislation, and we urge you to uh, bring it to the appropriate city agencies and back to the Board of Supervisors in November. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Supervisors, Supervisor Campos, um, Connie Ford, Vice President of the San Francisco Labor Council. Um, workers, unions, women have been fighting for pay equity. I just have a slight correction for you, Supervisor. Longer than 50 years. I have a quote from Susan B. Anthony right here who says, <laughs> join a union Sorry. and girls get together and fight for equal pay. So it's been going on a long time. It's it's disgusting that we're still talking about it. It's, it's sad. Um, when you go and buy a quart of milk, when you pay your rent, when you pay, buy gas in your car, they don't say, oh, you're a woman, so let's reduce it by 23%. You know, if they did that, maybe we could deal with it, you know, but they don't say that then. It's only when the employer sort of plays his games. To my friend who um, talked about unions and the problems with unions, the the fact that unions print most people's wages right on the back of every contract is the solution. People, we should know what people are making. This data collecting ordinance is exactly what we need to, be, to move forward and make the laws of this land real. We've been involved in social justice legislation for years now, and the complaint always is you pass a good law, but you don't have either enforcement or the data to back it up. So we've passed laws on this, great, and now we want to really enact them and enforce them and see what the problem is. Maybe there's no problems, but if there's problems, we'll know exactly how to address it because of this law. So thank you, Supervisor Campos, for this and the committee, and I look forward to seeing this pass at the board as soon as possible. Thank you very much, and I, uh, I, I stand corrected. Uh, good afternoon, Ruben Garcia. As a, as a long-time union rep, I had seen this problem over and over, and I really am here to support this legislation because it's very important that we have the information necessary to enforce whatever laws are uh, deemed necessary later. Um, you know, I've, I've been uh, in, in the union for a long time, and I've seen how people, how women get hired, even when we have a union contract, even with the wage scales are in the back of the contract, I have seen how women get uh, hired at a lower step than, than males. And, and that's a problem. And that happened in the union environment. I, I can just imagine what happened in places where there's, they don't even have that. So I'm very grateful that you're doing this. This is a great leadership. This is something that has been needed for a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm Roberta Guys. I'm with the American Association of University Women, which is also known as AUW, and I'm co-chair of our local branch, which is AUW San Francisco. AUW has been around since 1881, which is almost 140 years of advocating for, for women and empowering them. And pay equity is on the forefront of the advocacy issues and uh, activities that it engages in. And Supervisor, I, I stuffed this, my, my green card in your uh, truth, simple truth about the gender pay gap. This is updated every six months. If you recall 
Lilly Ledbetter, the Lilly Ledbetter Act that was signed the first day that President Obama was uh, in office, that was American Association of University Women who was pushing to make that happen. So here in San Francisco, we're strong supporters of equal pay legislation, and we're looking forward to this, act this being uh, enacted. And we especially like the idea of the advisory board and hope that one of us will be able to be at the table. I've spoken with other women's groups and who are in policy and, and around the city, and some of them were expressing surprise that they didn't know about this legislation or that it, they found out rather late. So I would encourage you and everybody involved to make sure that all the organizations who could have a voice, should have a voice, are, are brought to the table, and that all women's voices are, are included in this. I have many more copies of this if people would like it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for what you do. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Pilar Schiavo, California Nurses Association. We very much support this legislation and this legislation moving forward today. Um, you know, nurses, uh, before they had a strong union, used to get paid really pennies on the dollar of what men were paid, um, you know, less than $2 an hour because nurses' work was seen as um, just something that women needed for pocket change. Um, we know today that women, nurses, which is 90% women, are often the head of household, provide for their whole families, and because of a strong union, they've been able to make that a very good job. But still, pay inequity exists within our industry. Um, Supervisor Campos was very supportive of PAC nurses, the CPMC nurses who recently organized. And we did an informal study there when, when nurses were organizing to see what the pay differences were. And there were huge differences between nurses, men and women, on that campus. This is something that um, is a, an important but a modest step forward. And it's shocking to me that the um, Commission on the Status of Women is not leaning forward on this issue. Um, it's, it's also surprising that this has come to be such an important issue to them in the last 24 hours, yet they didn't have the decency to stay and hear the item through until the end. Um, it's also, you know, we all know that there, this was on the cover of the Chronicle. This was talked about at the board when Supervisor Campos introduced it. It's in the minutes of the board meeting. All of the supervisors have that information. The public was certainly informed of that if Supervisor Campos didn't personally reach out to every single one of them. This seems like a politically motivated way to stall this legislation, and it's disgusting. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other member of the public who would like to speak? Uh, seeing on public comment is close. I want to just make a couple of points, colleagues, and I, I, I want to turn it over to Supervisor Jane Kim, who is uh, co-sponsor of this legislation, the first co-sponsor. And uh, I just want to note that there has been a lot of comments of, around the issue of the definition of, of sex and race. Uh, and I just want to be very clear that the definition that this legislation has is a definition that's already in the code right now. So to the extent that people have a concern around that, that, that's a concern that actually deals with existing San Francisco law. Uh, and and uh, I also want to note the second point, which is that I am committed to meet with 
anyone, uh, and, and I, I know that we have reached out to some of the contractors who spoke here, uh, to the Chamber of Commerce, to meet with them uh, uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and if this item makes it to the board, uh, we are committed to making sure that those questions or concerns are, are answered. Uh, and if they're not, uh, then we certainly have an opportunity to continue the item uh, at the board level. Uh, but I'm committed to, to working and, and talking to whoever. But let me just be very clear that the reason why we drafted the legislation we did is because we want this process uh, to be open, transparent, and to be long enough. That's why we created a nine-month phase-in period. Supervisor Kim, thank you very much for your leadership on this, and thank you again for your, your hard work and to your staff for all they've done to make this happen. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Campos, and actually I should thank you and your office for bringing forward this legislation. Um, when President Obama made the call um, for, for equal pay um, for, for women and for men, I think it's really important that we at a local level take up that call to action. Um, what is incredibly frustrating in terms of what we often see in Washington, D.C., is that there's a lot of great ideas um, that come from the White House, that come from our Democratic leaders, um, but often get um, stuck at a standstill um, because of the deadlock that we have in, in um, the partisan politics. We see that um, with the minimum wage um, call for increase, uh, which our president has done. But what we're finding is that on a local level that we're able to move um, more nimbly um, and more creatively to actually implement the will of the people of this country um, on a local level. And so I'm really excited to, to co-sponsor this measure. I know that this actually is very different from minimum wage. This actually is being done um, at the federal level and we'll really be mimicking this um, here in the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, but I'll, I'll repeat what I said at um, the rally a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm very lucky that my salary is set um, by the charter um, here in San Francisco. I get paid the same wage um, for the work that I do, equivalent to my male colleagues on the board. However, I'm very aware um, that when I am out of office, that it is very possible that I will get paid less for the same work that my male colleagues do when my salary is not set by a city charter. And I know that there are many women um, in this country um, that um, are in that situation. And certainly when I was at um, our Democratic leaders' luncheon, Nancy Pelosi, um, with um, Hillary Clinton, their largest call and message on Monday was equal pay for equal work. Um, and so it's really exciting to be able to take that on at a local level. And most importantly, that we're doing it in particular with our contractors that are getting paid taxpayer dollars. Um, these are public dollars that everyone pays into, everyone here in the city pays into, and it goes directly um, into these large contracts um, with our city contractors and subcontractors, and they should absolutely be held the most accountable when public dollars are being put in for the work that they do for our city to make sure that they are following the very values um, that we here in San Francisco and nationally um, believe in, um, and that is the pay, th that is the fight for um, equal pay for equal work. So I'm really proud to sponsor um, this legislation. I do support it moving forward at a committee, but I do appreciate um, that Supervisor Campos will be working over the next couple of days if there are any open policy questions or concerns um, before Tuesday to address them. And I will certainly support a continuance at the full board or even a re-referral to committee if we find that there are open-ended issues that, we're not, uh, that we were not able to address, because we certainly want to make sure that we have the strongest legislation um, moving forward on behalf of, you know, 50 percent of our city. 
Thank you, Supervisor Kim. And of course, it was only fitting that it was a woman who hit the nail in the head in terms of talking about this issue. So thank you very much for your eloquent remarks. Supervisor Yi. Is it okay for me to speak as a male? <laughs> you are, yes. I think, I think for the time being, you're allowed to speak. All righty. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank um, both um, uh, all the authors of, of this um, legislation to bring this forth and, and to take a step further to make sure that the reality of men and women get the same pay. The, I just want to make it uh, clear and to the audience um, for, because there's been discussion about whether we need to slow this down or not, whether this, there's time to, to look at this issue um, even further. Um, I don't think anybody I've heard today was against the concept. Um, they, I know they question whether some definitions need to be tweaked and so forth. Um, and so if it comes out, goes out of committee today, um, then the, the, the first time that we could actually um, do anything with this in terms of next steps is about how long, um, Chair Campos? Clerk, if I can ask our clerk. Uh, we're in receipt of a memo to forward this to the October 28th, 2014 Board of Supervisors meeting. Okay. So if we're to go to the food board, I guess my question is, if it were to go to the food board, when can we hear at the food, food board the first time? I think it's uh, October 28th is what uh, the clerk was saying. And again, if it goes to the full board and uh, there is a, a sense that, that it, the matter needs to be continued, I think that uh, both uh, my office and, and Supervisor Kim as the chief co-sponsor are open to continuing at that point. Okay. So um, I know you're, um, you're committed to hearing some of the concerns in the next few days and, and um, I'll be looking forward to hearing the results of those concerns. Um, that's, I just want to make a clarification how fast this could go or cannot go. Thank you, Supervisor Yi. Supervisor Mar. Yeah, thank you, Supervisor Campos, and everyone that's spoken today. It's been a, a really great hearing. Um, as a, another man speaking on an issue of equality and opportunity for women, I just wanted to say I'm really glad that there are many men that have spoken out in support from Ruben Garcia to others, Ramses and others that have spoken today. Um, I want to be strongly supportive of um, my colleague, Supervisor Campos, and the many organizations that have put so much time into this piece of legislation. I want to be sensitive to also others that want their input, but I think there's enough um, time in the process for this as it moves forward, hopefully to the board on October 28th for that kind of dialogue. And I know that Mr. Lazarus from the, the chamber and the contractors that are here Already, um, Supervisor Campos has reached out. Um, I want to make sure that um, the comments of um, many um, hit me pretty hard. I think as a man with privilege and um, gender and at times racial privilege, I have to put myself in the shoes of many women, especially women of color and what they face daily. I think people talked about a culture of secrecy when we don't have the information and I think breaking that down is a first part of breaking down sexism and systems of oppression that keep women and girls in an inferior place. And I think this is a good first step. 
um, forward. I think the Equal Pay Advisory Board will be a wise body that puts their heads together for nine months to really craft something that San Francisco can be extremely proud of. I hope that the simple truth put together by the American Association of University Women and other tools are used um, from Equal Pay Day in April to many other tools. But I know this is just a first step. It takes a movement to really enforce and to implement um, key efforts like this that break down systems of oppression. But I'm just really proud to stand with my colleague, Supervisor Campos, Kim Avalos, and others, as hopefully we move this forward out of committee today um, and to the full board October 28th for our first vote and then for our second vote on November 4th, which would be election day as well. So I'm strongly supportive. I humbly ask to be added as a co-author, and I'll be voting in support of this. Thank you, Supervisor Marr, for your uh, co-sponsorship. Uh, and thank you, Supervisor Yee uh, and Supervisor Kim. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I want to note uh, that I certainly have learned a lot through this process. Uh, and I think that there are things that we as men take for granted. And, uh, you know, people, women that you never thought uh, uh, of, of being subjected to discrimination have, have come forward. And, and I want to... Uh, especially identify the the comments of of the amazing uh, Jane Morrison, who who came to committee to the board and talked about how uh, she worked for a news outlet, a, a, a TV station, and how over the course of her career uh, she trained uh, many new employees who happened to be men, and over a period of time, all of them that that she trained and she taught the job. Uh, became, you know, her uh, supervisors, her superiors in, in, in that employment setting. Uh, and, and I know that, uh, you know, if I, uh, you know, uh, my, my grandmother is, is, is not alive anymore, but I remember that the stories that she would have as well of what it meant uh, for a woman of her generation to go through through life and through employment. So I certainly have learned a lot, and I want to thank uh, the the women who have shared their stories with us. Uh, and uh, I think this is a very small step. And uh, with that, colleagues, uh, it's up to you in terms of how you want to proceed. So I'll, I'll move the amendments, um, approval of the amendments first. And then I, I okay. move that we adopt this as amended. So if we can take, uh, we have a motion to uh, accept the, the amendments that were outlined earlier. If we can take that without objection without objection. And then we have uh, a motion uh, by Supervisor Marr to move this item forward. Uh, if we can take that without objection. Oh. Mr. Chair, we are in receipt of the memo for to move this forward as recommended as a committee report. Okay. Is that yes. for October, as a committee report yeah. for October so 28th. So if we can take that without objection. Without objection. Thank you very much to everyone who came. And uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items before this committee? There are no more items, Mr. Chair. Meeting adjourned. Thank you.